This is a HeadGum Podcast. Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. Hey everyone, this is Jamie Broadnax and we are Black Girl Nerds. And it's true, we will be at South by Southwest this year, coming up next week in fact. We're broadcasting a new episode direct with the podcast stage and tune in live. So if you're not in Austin this year, you can still hear us. We're going to talk about comics, movies, pop culture stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. So check out the live stream March 10th through the 15th right here on TuneIn Live at South by Southwest. And be sure to visit the station page for the full schedule. See you at South by. Hi, I'm Joy Bryant, and I'm a Black Girl Nerd, and you are listening to Black Girl Nerd Podcast. Hi guys, I'm John Boyega, and you're now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Enjoy. Black Girls Rock. Hi, I'm Sujata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Andre Meadows. I have a YouTube channel, Black Nerd Comedy. Have you heard of it? Don't matter, because you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, the best podcast in the whole world that I'm doing a promo for right now. Thanks for tuning in to episode 137 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Sundance Rewind and Mute. Two segments. In our first segment, we are rewinding back to Sundance. We have an interview with writer-director Kasim Basir and writer Samantha Tanner of the film called A Boy, A Girl, and a Dream that screened at the Sundance Film Festival. In our second segment, we talk to the director of the new movie called Mute, Duncan Jones. Both of these segments are hosted by Jacqueline. So sit back, relax, and enjoy BGN 137, Sundance Rewind, and Mute. A boy, a girl, a dream. Love on election night. On the night of the 2016 presidential election, Cass, an L.A. club promoter, takes a thrilling and emotional journey with Frida, a Midwestern visitor. 
She challenges him to visit his broken dreams while he pushes her to discover hers. The film stars Amari Hardwick, Megan Good, and Jay Ellis. Director is Kasim Basir, and writer is also Kasim Basir and Samantha Tanner, featured in this interview. Thank you guys so much for joining me, and I can't wait to talk about this film, A Boy, A Girl, and A Dream. And just because a lot of folks weren't at Sundance and able to see it like I was, um, quickly, let's just go ahead and talk about it. So this this film was shot along in basically a one shot um, over election night, and it tells the story of a boy, a girl, and a dream. Basically, um, it's a romance uh, set along the backdrop of sort of like the Trump presidency becoming a reality. So if you guys can walk me through how you sort of came to it, because I know originally it was just a romance, and then the election situation sort of developed later. Yes, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I originally wrote it as, as that, um, came to Datari. Uh, you know, we've been circling each other in the industry for a while. Um, Hollywood, particularly black Hollywood, is pretty small. You know, you see people at festivals and you see their work and, you know, um, we had been talking about doing some stuff and so, you know, I, I called them about this and then, you know, Sam and I went went back at the script and um, uh, and got it to, to the point where we, where we were ready to talk to Omari and Megan and, you know, we had our core crew and all of it was, we, we started to develop it and, and Atari had went off and raised some funding for it and, um, and then when the election happened, um, it was such a significant moment, um, not only in our country, but in the world, but in, in us individually, and, and especially, you know, with, with where I am as an artist and just always trying to um, say something in my work, you know, I was like, I think this, this story could be much more effective if it, t- if it took place on that night. And so um, for, I think, when I, um, when I came back at the team, um, spoke to Zahari about it, spoke to Sam about it, um, it was a no-brainer for everyone. O- Omari loved loved it. Megan, everyone was like, "Yeah, absolutely." I mean, um, I, I've been saying the last few days, like, no matter what you were doing that day, if you add, if no matter what you're doing in life, if you add on the election night of 2016, it will raise the stakes of everything. From drinking a cup of water to walking down the street <laughs> on election night will will kind of raise the stakes. And you know, movies are all about you know tension and stakes, and you know, that's how we got there. Excellent. And then Samantha, if I can talk to you, because I I heard at the I love this moment in the Q and A that I guess the process of making this film, um, you guys were already in a relationship prior to that, but I guess um, you were kind of persuaded heavily, like put a ring on it, <laughs> you got a good one. So <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know any of that was happening, um, and the backdrop of the story. That's no, I sure. know. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah, you, what they, was it like they, they were you? scheming. Yeah, was it like that for yeah, you where you were sure. like, let's get it going? Yeah, for sure, for sure. When I um, jumped on board, like, Cosmo and I had worked together on another project, so I was kind of, like, putting my energy into getting that feature produced and, like, seeing that take off in a, a different, tan- like, world. So when this when he came to me with this first draft of the script, um, I it was beautiful. It was, like, really well-rounded. Um, story in, in many aspects, but it was more geared towards um, the pr- point of view of Cass, 
Amari's character, so it was more towards a male lead and a male perspective. Um, Kaufman is really known to have great, strong women in his in his work, from like Nina Long and Nia Long and um, and Muslim, and then you know Margot Bingham and Destin. But when I read it, like I I had so many questions as to what she wanted. Did she have a dream? Um, like I know when I read it from like Omari's perspective, it brought up a lot for me as being like just an actress, a writer, um, an aspiring producer in, in in the industry. And like I'm like I have these same wants and dreams as well. Like the same things happened to me, and I felt like her voice was just a it was a little muted. It was just a, 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 a beat muted. And I, I asked permission if I can jump on board because the women in my family they. They are celebrated on Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know. They have mm. those masculine and those feminine qualities, and they have to stand and dream and work and, you know, conquer and, you know, get detoured as well. And so that was a big part for me to jump on board and make sure that she also had those that, that perspective and that voice. And it went from, like, a, a starring role to a co-starring role, I think. Yeah. We, we both developed it into all of a sudden, like, it's a – mutually, you know, mutually, they both have equal screen time. They both are, you know, really pushing and fighting for each other and towards something bigger than themselves. So I, I think there's there's an important, important part of this to add because of uh, the perspective of, so this is the first time I've shared a writing a writing credit. I mean, obviously we get notes from scripts, you know, Datari gave ideas and stuff, and, and, and you know, in any script I've worked with, but to, to actually share... A, a writing credit, um, and, and to understand that a, a woman, like a, to, to write a voice of a woman, uh, it, it's not. I mean, I could do it, um, and it, 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 but it made me look at the larger picture of 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 just if you consider like the, let's consider film the film the life of film history, right? For a hundred years, white men wrote stories about everyone, right? And for us. They pulled out the most. They they only really put us in stories highlighting the most extreme, violent, and polarizing elements of who we are. Right? It's like looking at a person and only knowing them for the worst three things they ever did in their life, for the worst five things, but not knowing the other thousand great things or beautiful things or normal things. Right? And so, just in the last twenty or thirty years, we've been uh, we've been making stories consistently that, that highlight who we are for real, that we're regular human beings too, that we fall in love too. But for a hundred years, like our, our society has perceived us as a certain thing because of a small group of people sharing the stories of people they don't even really understand. And so that's the macro of this micro version of our relationship of writing where I've been writing for women for my career, which is great. And I think I've, I've, I've been more fair than these white men who've been writing for us, but it just made me realize how significant it is for people who are those people to write and be involved in the creation of, of these stories. I love that you point that out because it brings up another point, too, because Sundance this year I felt definitely had a different feel as someone that's been before. I feel like this year with films like yours and Monster and Monsters and Men and Blind Spotting and Sorry to Bother You and Really, the list could go on, but I would say more so than any year I've ever been, the films that have a perspective from marginalized groups, from black people particularly, are really being pushed front and forward. But on the flip side of that, 
Did you think about that in your film? Because it's always true whenever people of color create that sometimes we're judged by a typical sort of white male monolithic. Like if you are the person of color creating it, the people that are commenting on it are probably going to have a that, that same sort of like Hollywood stereotype. Did you think about that in, exactly. in the promotion of the film? And, and how are you trying to, I guess, stay focused on it? Stay focused on what well, you're trying to do. Well, I think, yeah, I love for I love for Datari to to answer that part of that question. But let me just say this one thing because that's really come up because I think there's steps to this, and I think Steve or some somebody was just talking about that yesterday that we make these movies and like the the the, the reviews are are uh, um they determine a lot from a movie and our movie at the theater, people were crying, people loved it. And, and, and so we, we feel like it did well. And so now it's, it's, it's sort of up to um, the people who kind of write about these movies and, and, and from their, from their perspective, whether it be limited or broad, but, you know, I think the Tari can speak on that as well, because he's been at Sundance the last six years with the film. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a, that's a good place for you to, to jump in on. Yeah, well, I think the great thing about our film is that it's about a number of things. I mean, at the at the core, you know, this is a faith-based film, you know, not in a traditional sense, but um, it is a faith-based film. And although, you know, it is a film about, you know, kind of like a peek into what it's like to be a black man and a black woman in 2018, you get to see a peek into what it's like to kind of walk in our shoes you know, the film is universal in the sense that, you know, it is about dreams. You know, it, it's, you know, everybody can relate to that. I mean, you know, it was a statistic that I posted on our, you know, Instagram page that said that only 13% of people in the entire world are doing what they love. You know, and that's what struck a chord to me, you know, about, you know, wanting to, you know, get involved with this film because, you know, every single year people move to L.A. and move to New York and, um, you know, Utah, Toronto to pursue a dream. And then, you know, real life sets in. If they don't accomplish it in the time they gave themselves and they run out of savings, you know, they got to get a job to pay bills. And then people get married and have kids. And then five years later, you're on a hamster wheel. You're like, we wake up and you're like, this is my life now. And somehow, somewhere along the line, you stop pursuing your dream. So I think it is a universe, even though this film has a black... You have black creatives in front and behind the scenes. I think it's a universal story that everybody can relate to in terms of, you know, uh, uh, you know, life is short. So go after what you really want, um, you know, so, you know, you, you don't look up when you're 40 and 50 and wish that you could, could have, you know, or think about why didn't you do that or have regrets. That's one thing. The second thing is, you know, the film everybody can relate to love. I mean, we're, we, every single person on this planet deals with love every single day, whether you're in love, whether you're falling out of love, whether you're looking for love, whether you want to be loved, um, you know, it's all really at the end of the day about love. That's what brings us all together, race, you know, ethnicity, I mean, everything, you know, male, female, whatever. So, I mean, I do think that this this film is going. You know, it 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 it, it has a universal appeal. Um, you know, and it, it's extremely marketable. I mean, it it touches on so many things, but 
love, dreams, faith, and hope is at the core of this movie. Yeah, it definitely resonates um, when you watch it that it that it does feel like a faith because you know anytime anybody dreams, there's a certain there's a significant level of faith that you have to put in. It's faith in yourself, right? Um, yeah. I, yeah. I feel, Amen. Yeah, I feel with the two leads, with Amari and with Megan. You, you mentioned too, like obviously, you know, Samantha, you guys brought it together, but the, there's a lot of the movies just playing out along their faces. Um, there's long scenes where they don't really say a lot, and we just kind of watch the emotions come across uh, their faces. And I, I'm imagining it was set that way to be that way on the page. So, what about those two actors in particular? Did you feel they were going to be able to convey that? Because it's 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 really hard, actually. I would imagine to know you have that much silence to work with um, from an actor mm-hmm. level. Well, well, fortunately, you know. This was, you know, when we were talking about casting, it was from the beginning we talked about Omari and Megan, uh, Jatari and I. Unfortunately, we both um, we both have very long relationships with Omari, and Jatari and has a much longer relationship with Megan. Um, but, you know, it, the, the, I, there there's a lot of elements that come into play. One, they knew each other for a long time. Two, um, Omari is a theater guy. He's a poet. He is a, a musician. He's been on a show, on a series for four years, now five. Um, mm-hmm. When you are, when you're working for that much, you know that somebody is constantly in practice. So when you mm-hmm. consider someone having to learn a whole screenplay, having to have the camera on them for that long, you know they have developed more movements, more tricks, more, they understand what their face does when the camera is close to them. They understand the subtlety, and and they and they really want moments to breathe. Like when you're on a show, a lot of times there's not as many moments to breathe, and um and it's the breath and the moments that 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 I believe actors really really yearn for. And I think you know fr- from the jump it was it was something that they both understood. It was something that um that that they they both really worked hard at, and 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 it was a dance. I keep saying it. And I'm seeing it on a big screen with this audience, these audiences at Sundance. I keep saying it was such a dance with them because of how they and they really listened to each other. If you're if you're dancing salsa with someone, um, with and you have a partner, you and you're spinning her and you you just dip her to the floor. Her body has to sort of dip back as well as your dip. She doesn't know you're about to do it sometimes, but just that split second before you're going to do it, she understands and she goes too. And she might push you and, and spin you another way. And I feel like that's what they did. They were so good at listening to each other and 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 and, and listening to whenever. I, and this was a different style of directing for me as well. Um, with and when we have many conversations about that, I normally would like to to talk to my actors individually and privately about what they're doing in the scene from cut to cut. Since we weren't cutting, it was literally conversations while we were shooting and and, and 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 moments where it was like, Hey Megan, just you know, just stay just stand there and look at him, you know. Um, all right, now we got now guys we have to keep going. Right? And and so just keeping all of that in the play and doing the dance between all of the people that were around the camera and, and in front of it. It's also like um this scam it's also a big part of trust. I think that sometimes uh, in scripting and in storytelling, um, as writers we get we get we get we, we write too much, and it's like trusting the audience to be on this journey with us, trusting the actors to do the press, do the work, um, to trust the process. 
to a certain degree, um, film is a visual media, you know, and to trust that 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 process that our team and that the actors and performers will be able to jump in and do that would be was was you know a big part of writing the page, getting the the words on the page. Um, coming from theater, this is kind of like a war, like a marriage of two of the things that I love the most. Most of coming, like you know, starting a play at Act One, Scene One, and then not being able to stop or look away. It's it's kind of like a perfect a perfect melody. No, I, I I do agree with you on the the musical aspect of it. Just knowing how you guys shot it with the with the one shot setup and. It continuous all the way through. I will say as writers, um, knowing that that was part of it, I know you said from pretty much the beginning, was there ever a time, uh, Sam, and you uh, basically where y'all were like, why did we write it this way? <laughs> it's too difficult. I would really like to edit this out. No, this no, 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 never. No, really? never. And, and, I, and I think that also, that also goes to the, the team that we had. I, yeah. can't, I cannot say enough about the, the, the producing team, the the camera team. Yeah. The, you have to have people around. I mean, for for you to call a, a producer and say, hey, let's do a one-er, and, 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 for, them, and for them not to flinch, that's a real, really big asset. And that's the, I'll give it up to Atari for that. And to have a DP that literally was like, the, from the moment we met, you got to understand, we met almost a year ago exactly at, after the, Sam and I were, were at the Women's March. And, you know, we went from the Women's March to a coffee shop where I had my meeting with the D, with the DP who was, was Stephen Holler, and from that moment he said to me, he's like, dude, I've always wanted to do a water, you know, I've always wanted to do a water. Um, I'm glad you brought, and, and he never flinched, he never flinched, and and just you know you lean on folks, you look at your yeah, and your then team. with that too, like um another reason why like I really wanted to be a part of this, and Costin said he wanted to do uh, that they were planning on doing a water. Is that from I worked on three different projects over my my school schooling like in school where we were doing these kind of long form improv plays that were scripted plays and the plays uh, there was this one project I did my my last year of university and it was like a jazz improv show and it, we didn't have a script but we had um, an outline and beat. And so this one was definitely more developed than what I was working with, but um, that was something that that Costum and Atari that they trusted like a little bit of my input on like okay this is how as a performer I I how I worked my way through this kind of world that hadn't been explored before, but then also really tr- trusting Costum as an established filmmaker uh, you know you know script writer <laughs> and film to trusting that 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 we'd be able to have like a nice little marriage between what this is going to look like on the page. But no one ever flinched or questioned it from the beginning. Well, you guys are braver than most, braver than me. Because <laughs> like, I, I think most of the audience going into it, you know, are thinking the same thing as far as, um, you know, trying to figure it out, like how you did it. Can you guys talk about, I heard that you developed kind of a special study cam to, to like, talk about the, basically the craft of the setup, because we know that you rehearsed it like a play yeah. from the actor side, but technically, what did you guys have to do to make this literally feasible and physically happen? Well, before before Council gets into I, I just want to say this one quick thing before he gets into the camera and everything, but this 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 was uh, not an easy task, and it was very expensive. Yeah, I, I'm just going to yeah. say that. We had a large crew. We had police escorts. We shot in the most expensive 
uh, area to shoot in L.A., which is West Hollywood. You can't get it. You you can't get Film L.A. to permit that area where we shot at. You actually you have to go through West Hollywood directly, which is mm-hmm. really really expensive. And then the club we shot at was in a residential area, so we literally had to get signatures. We had to go house to house and get signatures of everybody in the area. It was it definitely wasn't an easy seat to say the least. So. Um, you know, and then we rented out an entire nightclub villa, which is one of the most popular clubs in LA, as well as you know renting out a ten million dollar mansion, as well as Mel's diet. I mean, it, it, it was it was not a beat, but uh, Q, you can get into the camera specs. Yeah, yeah, and 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 with that, I mean, we worked with Panavision. Um, so our DP Stephen Holleran and the team, um, our camera team, were working for weeks to really design something that could could take on that kind of shoot. So there was one thing called an anti-gravity rig, which he straps around his waist, and it looks sort of like a transformer kind of machine because it can go as low as, like, way to the ground and all the way up to nine feet without, you know, having the weight on his arms because it's basically, I don't know anyone that could carry something that, because it weighed about 40, 50 pounds. I don't know anyone that could carry something like that right in front of them for more than five minutes let alone, you know, 90. So so by having this anti-gravity rig, the weight was was, was um, around his waist, um, and, you know, he was able to move in and out of spaces, and we were behind him, beside him. Um, um, uh, uh, we, we did multiple, like, practice runs in these, in these, like, high school parking lots where we would practice the dismount because there were moments we had to dismount it seamlessly mm-hmm. in order to up in the lift ride, right? Because the rig yeah. was a little too big to get into the lift ride. So we had to practice that dismount. I must, I may say a hundred times, two hundred times. I can remember how many times we practiced the dismount. We're actually going to put up a video of it in the next uh, day or two um, uh, in order to make that seamless. Um, there was also like the, the building of the choosing of the lenses. So we chose a, a, a smaller camera, the, the Sony A7S II, but a, a larger lens. So we could shoot Panavision. That's why we had that wide look that that, mm-hmm. that we could get this sprawling, like beautiful look of LA. Um, that was a Panavision uh, 35 millimeter um, um, anamorphic lens, which was a long lens um, uh, to give us that look. Uh, we also they, they also had to rig it with more batteries because there was not a battery that could last that long, right? So they had to rig it and have these batteries connected to the mount <laughs> that added a little more weight but also gave us more time to shoot so that we wouldn't run out of battery. They also had to extend the amount of record time on the camera, so actually adjust the camera so it could record. I think at the time it recorded like 30 minutes at a time max, but it had to adjust it in order to, to record longer. So, I mean, it was legitimately like if you consider uh, the, the closest thing and the most simple thing I can consider right now is Legos, Right, you start with like a Lego of, of a you know of a car, and then you put all this extra stuff on it. Um, but I'll, I'll be I'll gladly like send you a photo or or, or yeah, if you could do that, that would be really on, great. On that video. Yeah, that'd be really great to get to post with the uh, with the interview because yeah, that's I mean I'm, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of questions. Obviously, it's well acted, it's beautifully shot, but I I know that that's the thing that that everyone's asking about and I feel also whenever you have filmmakers of color everybody wants to talk about the diversity and stuff but nobody ever talks to filmmakers of color about the craft of filmmaking which I think is the thing that I I personally want to try to go against because every single person who makes a film 
they always are thinking about when to push, when to pull, when to put this lens and when to do that. And so when you do something like what you guys did, of course I want to make sure it gets to stay in the sun to explain it because it's um, probably going to be something other people are going to bite off later. So that's great. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and people are talking about it, and it's great. And I I think, you know, I think just uh, I want – yeah, I I love all of it, you know, whether it's uh, about the film or the technical, it's, it's all great. Yeah. My last question um, for you guys will be, basically, I, like I said, I feel like this Sundance was unique. Um, I know you guys were there last year. What are you going to take away from this whole experience? Because, you know, they, they call it the Sundance class because it feels like everybody that presents in a year, you kind of, all the filmmakers, it's like graduating together because it kind of launches you into a different stratosphere as far as filmmaking a lot of the time. And, and, and you could always have that sort of kinship with the people that went through the process at the same time. So I would just love for all of you to kind of talk about what was unique, different, special, memorable about this Sundance in particular for you um, and what you'll really take away from it. I mean, obviously, you know, premiering your film is memorable and such, but I'm sure there's some quiet moments that you guys had where, you know, later on you're definitely going to associate with this time and this uh, this Sundance. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll go first. As, as someone who's, you know, I've had six movies in the festival over the last seven years, and I can tell you when I started off in 2011 when I had my first film in Sundance, you know, to to where we are now in 2018 with, like, a record amount of films in the festival from people of color. I mean, I, it's just really, really, you know, this, I mean, it, it's just really, really grown. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that, like, you know, we're it's just more diversity, you know, seven years later. I mean, obviously, you know, in between these seven years, you've had some great years, obviously, with Fruitvale Station and Dope and, like, Birth of a Nation. But for it to be a record number of films this year and so many female filmmakers, you know, women filmmakers as well, I just, I'm just happy with the growth in, of diversity, um, you know, and opportunities for people of color and women um, that's what I'm most proud of. I, I mean, it was a moment when, like, I was at the macro party, um, you know, that Charles came through a couple of nights ago where, like, it was just so many, like, black people in there that are, like, just crushing it right now. I mean, <laughs> from the Issa Rays to the Omari Harwigs to, you know, the, I mean, everybody, ushers. I mean, it was just, it was just, like, so many, like, just a-list people from top to bottom of, of color, like, you know, and that was just a really, really proud moment for me. It made me feel like, you know, the Kenya Ferris's, the Charles Kings, the, it just made me feel like we are making progress. So that's what I'll take away from it the most. Excellent. Um, I think you mentioned th- this is our second last year or something. I, this, this is my first film in Sundance. Um, yeah. I've been here a couple of times. Um, after 2013, I told myself I wouldn't come back without a movie. And so, um, so I think you just said something about that earlier, but I just wanted to, to clarify that. But for me, it's just for, for people to, to have accepted the movie and to be responding this way, it's, it's, it's a dream come, come true. You know, we, we set out to make a movie about something that we believed in and, and in the end to, to, to inspire people and to give people hope. And and it and it looks and it seems kind of like that's what what's happening. And so honestly, that is like I told Zatari and Sam and everyone. My family came out. I said literally Monday 
was literally like one of the best days of my entire life. And so that's the highlight for me is all is just being here with our film. So and then people accepting it and receiving it. Um, yeah, I think for me, this is my first time on the mountain, and this is also my first film that's ever been produced in any kind of capacity. So it's um, this is definitely something I get used to. I'm liking it, <laughs> um, and it's also just <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, this this works. Um, but it's been a it's been an absolute joy. So I've just been trying to take as many moments as possible to step off to the side and stand in gratitude and humility because um, for a first, like, I've been trying to, you know, break into this, like, get my voice, you know, considered and heard as a contender in a lot of different facets of this industry. So to be able to be up here with, you know, the grace of, you know, um, Datari and his legacy and then the legacy of Omari and the, co- the legacy of Kasim of Phil and Megan, to be up here and to be a contender, um, I stand in gratitude and um, I, I, I look up every every moment I can and say thanks. And I'm looking forward to what this will give me as um, as an artist afterwards, um, some stuff that I, I want to get going, and I'm hoping that I can um, have some, some fuel to push those along. Well, I, I hope so, Amen. too. I I think uh, I think you guys are definitely, um, for again, having this moment with the first film, I, I think you guys are definitely going to be able to catapult it to more things. And I would just say, you know, the last couple writing partner last year are going to the Oscars this year. I'm just saying, you know, Emily and Mayo, Najiani, I don't think anyone would be sad to see it happen. So that'd be great. <laughs> Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you guys so much for your Thank time. Thank you for taking um, the time for interviewing. Yeah. We appreciate you. Yeah. And I, and honestly, I really like, I love what y'all do. I've, like, for uh, sure. Nerds. I've been following yeah, you on, on, uh, on Twitter for a bit. And I love you guys' perspective and the voice that you've carved out and created for, for, for some of the marginalized. So keep well, I appreciate keep it. Amen. We're, we're and, with a few one of us on the mountain. So. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. No, no, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. No, we just we appreciate you. Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, thank you. I was just gonna say, and again, we just were happy to be there, to be there, to like send reviews in. So that was like a big deal for us. So much appreciated. All right, thank you. Thank you guys. Uh huh. Bye. Thank you. Duncan Jones is an English director, producer, and screenwriter. He's best known for directing the science fiction film Moon back in 2009, for which he won a BAFTA award for outstanding debut by a British writer, director, or producer. He's also known for Source Code and Warcraft. My my wife's family uh, are in Pasadena, so... um... You know, we've got little babies now, so she yeah. wants to keep around her family this, and make sure she's. Is it two now, right? It's the second one's on its way. That's so what I in thought. April. I read. Yeah. Oh my god, April! <laughs> are you, is she okay with you doing all this craziness right now? She's downstairs actually right now with the baby. So. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I feel bad for the wife sometimes. No. It's like oh, okay, you got to deal no, with she all. She likes it. She can come to here and we order room service and just like they have a crazy time down in the in the holding. Yeah, room they don't have to work. You just do all the work. Yeah, she. Yeah, she, she, she <laughs> good. Makes me, makes me feel good. Makes me look good. Good times. Good times. <laughs> All right. So here we are. We're talking with Duncan Jones, who's the new director of the Netflix film Mute. I saw it last night. It yeah. was so great. Starring Alexander Skarsgård. And I just have yeah. to start with him because yeah. 
it seems almost crazy to think in the year of last year with Shape of Water and this year, we've had these muted performances that are so <laughs> physically powerful. So talk yeah. about bringing Alex on, because it's kind of an intense role to try and pull off. It is. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I wrote this script 16 years ago. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a number of different people I was thinking about over such a long period of time. But um, I saw him in, um, in, a, in a show... Oh gosh, my brain! You're the first person I'm talking to today. So oh, like, hey, you can totally take me. your time. It's True Blood, <laughs> Generation, Generation Kill, Generation Kill. Yeah, it was in Generation Kill, and I thought, yeah, he's he's a really he's a really powerful presence and performer, and and um, you know, if if we kind of gel, this this could be the right guy. Yeah. Um, so I sent him the script, and and he he liked it. And we had a chance to meet in person, and uh, and I liked the fact that he was intimidated by it okay. because you know, for for an actor, I think. Dialogue is a pretty, pretty useful crutch yeah. <laughs> to get you out. They of love to talk. To, you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly, and it's something. Well, it's funny actually because they like to they like to talk, but they also like to pare their dialogue down. Mm -hmm. But I think when you actually take all the dialogue out, it's like, ah, what do I do? But um, you know, he's smart and he's really talented, and and I think he 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 knew what the arc needed to be. He, mm -hmm. he understood what the, where the character was starting and going. Um, and he was like, okay, yeah. So, so I have to do that without words. But you know, we, he, he was able to do it. Yeah, there's so much that plays out on his face. And I, I really did love his performance, I think, the most. Because it was the one where I was literally like, it's a silent movie with yeah. a lot of music, if you can give me that. Like, I, I, That was the other thing I really want to talk well, about. Well, half it is. Half of the film is. Yeah. Because obviously his story yeah. is... But then we've got Paul, you know, Paul Rudd and Justin Theroux's characters, yeah. and they're they're talking all the time. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> I don't want to give away their characters yeah. because I feel like I really wanted to avoid them in this. All I will yeah. just say is their characters are amazing, and it is a dual story. It's yeah. not just Alex. Although I feel like emotionally, the yeah. audience is very oh, much going to be attached to him. But I did want to talk about Clint Maisel's score. Yes, like I just I first of all I love his scores. I yeah. loved everything that he's done. But in this film, I really feel like. It was amazing. So talk about yeah, him because you guys have worked together. We he did. Worked on, you know, Clint, Clint Mance and I, we're, we're from, we're both, you know, we're compatriots. We both come from the UK yeah. and both moved out here. And, and uh, I've known Clint for a long time. Um, back when I used to drink, I don't drink anymore. But <laughs> back in those days, we used to hang out in the pubs in the UK. So I, I've known him for a long time. And then we did Moon together. Um, and, um, you know, he, he's just an incredibly talented guy. And I know he he's obviously worked with Darren Aronofsky a lot of times. And uh, I was getting a little jealous because I kept on doing these songs with Darren and I, I wanted to work with him again. Um, but I did Source Code and Warcraft, which were very different kinds of films that didn't really fit with kind of, I think, the chemistry we have, mm -hmm. the kind of things that, that work well for us. But Mute's pretty much designed for what I think Clint is just brilliant at. Yeah, and, and such a great compliment. It's sort of like when you get a great sauce on a great piece of meat. It was just like, it was. Yeah. I loved it. And I'm a score yeah. girl. Like yeah. I write pretty much to nothing but film scores oh, yeah. and I automatically was looking I was yeah, like alright Netflix that. get on your game like where is it oh 100% no, uh, we, we, were, we were really lucky with Moon we were able to do vinyl releases um, a little hipsterish but I think they're very no. cool I, I, I'm with you I come yeah. from Austin okay. I'm down with the hipster vibe I live in West Hollywood pretty much like I'm, I'm good so so hopefully you know if, if like you said if Netflix uh, lets us do it we'll, we'll, we'll release a nice vinyl of it as well I, I can't wait for that so talk to me about it you've been writing on it for 16 years yeah. originally it was supposed to be Sam Rockwell correct or maybe no, well actually I, I, I sent Sam the script in order to play Justin Theroux's character Doug. Oh, okay, wow. And, and at the time, Sam had done a number of roles um, 
I'm going to say like that, but yeah. things things where he felt like, you know what, I'm not, I, I don't want to play that role, but I really want to play Alexander Skarsgård's role, Leo. And uh, that Leo requires a certain physical presence. And I love Sam to death, and and I'll always you know love love him and want him in my films. But he he's not he's not Leo. Yeah. yeah. You know, because the, the thing about Leo is that character needs to be physically um, big enough that that when he meets people and is not able to use dialogue, people put their own baggage on him. Mm. Is he is he a dummy? Yeah. Is he uh a, you know just a, a silent quiet you know quiet quiet type, or is he intimidating? You know, and everyone basically reads him their own way. Just because of he's because he's this big dude, yeah. Um, and I think that you needed that, and Sam was never going to do that. But but um, but Sam and I got on really well, so that's why we ended up working together anyway. Yeah, and um, I will just say it's a spiritual successor to Moon, so yeah. be on the lookout. Again, yeah, I just absolutely. don't want to. So Sam's still in the movie, just yeah. in a very different. You're giving way. away more than me. I wasn't even going to tell him that because oh, okay. it's still rumored on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just want everyone to see it. Yeah. Um, no, for me, I will say this about it: it made me like want to go back and watch Moon to find out all of the Easter eggs oh, because yeah. it was kind of. I was so busy watching the movie, I wasn't yeah. looking for that. That's so good. like That's afterwards, good. I was like, okay, that ties into that, and that ties. I mean, some are very obvious, yeah. obviously, but yeah. there's some very subtle ones as well. So yeah. talk about this world because, from what I understand, you'd like to make this a trilogy. Yeah, I mean, I, we had, um, you know, everything's everything's being made in the different order than it was intended. Okay. But that's, uh, you know, like, like John Lennon said, uh, life's what happens when you're making other plans. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of it's just the way that it's happening. But um, there is a third part to this to to this stool of three stories. <laughs> this this trilogy. It's not really they're not they're kind of indirectly linked. They're all parallel stories, but they all kind of talk about similar things. It's more an anthology in a world. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's be that's the best way to put it. Um, and after I did Source Code, I had this film, which is it's it's a big action film starring these two sisters from the north of England, mm -hmm. and um, that's what was supposed to be the next film after after Source Code. Um, and we were just really, really struggling to get it made, and unfortunately, it was due to the fact that it was two women, and um, there was there was basically three female actors in the world that could justify the moderate budget that mm -hmm. was required to make it, and and it was just never going to work out. Um, Do you think that's changed now? I hope so. You know, yeah. I really don't know. I mean, it's it so much stuff has changed over the last you know five four or five years since yeah. we since we were trying to do that. You know, we're trying. We're going to try again yeah. and see what happens. I mean, I'm I'm um, down for it, and yeah. it's and it's great that you mentioned that too because you're doing this on Netflix, yeah. and this is the first time you've done a straight to streaming. Yeah, property. so absolutely. talk about that difference from going from the studio system to Netflix is the studio, but it's not yeah. meant for and it's in very theaters. different. I mean, yeah. I've, I've kind of you know, I, I guess it's just my the way I was brought up. I was always told to go and try and do things that make you feel a little bit uneasy. And, um, you know, Moon was a completely independent film. We did it ourselves. No one told us what to do. We controlled... The budget was small enough mm -hmm. that we really could control it. Source code, I kind of wanted to dip my toes a little bit in working with with um, with with uh, studios That's and things like that. dipping your toes, man. I just hate you. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I worked with a big star. Jake Gyllenhaal's yeah. a big star. Is still a big star. Um, and it was it was studio money, so it was kind of all right. So I'm getting a sense of what this is like. Warcraft, I just threw myself in there, and <laughs> yeah. it was like, okay, this is not fun. <laughs> this is not fun. This is three and a half years of just being yeah. beaten up. Yeah, you know. So okay, I'm going back to mute. <laughs> and, and, and Netflix was was really an amazing experience because it was a bigger film than Moon. But Netflix truly said, you know, they read the script, they knew what I did, and they said, okay, 
go make your movie. That's and awesome. they just totally left me alone to do it. So um, you would do it again, or do you do you miss some of that? I miss I miss the theatrical. I miss the theatrical, and I miss the DVDs and the Blu-rays, and just literally having a physical thing that you own after the movie. Yeah, it exists as a digital thing now, but that's it, and yeah. it kind of. It, it's a weird thing because it's there. I can watch it whenever I want to. A I lot can, more know, people are going to probably see it. A lot more people are going to see it, but there is nothing tangible to it. You know, it's weird. It's such a Netflix strange thing. Netflix needs to mock you up something. Well, that you know, that's what we've been doing on the Twitter with the with the fans and the, yes. and having people make up their own DVD cases because nice. it's a silly idea, but. You know, I like having stuff on my shelf. Yeah, no, I, I have a huge, my friends laugh at me, I have a huge now Blu-ray collection, yeah. but I've slowly started doing, and I'm like, when they come out with a new thing, I'll probably get yeah. Heathers on whatever form of movie that's in. That's always the first movie I get, because it's my be. favorite movie. But anyway, um, but I've yeah. I've VHSs, you know I mean? Me too, because there's a couple that haven't been reprinted. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. until they give this in the other form, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but do you... I know, because again, you come from, you know, visual effects. And one of the yeah. things about this film, I cannot speak enough, is how seamless the visual effects of it are. Because I know that it's an entire <laughs> world that you build, and they look amazing. So yeah. the thing I want to ask you is this kind of craftsmanship Because I've seen so much bad CGI recently. Okay. <laughs> Way too much. How do you make it... How do you make it look so good? Like, there's no other yeah. way for me to put it. Like, what do you as a director have to do to make that happen? Well, look, I mean, again, I've, I've, I, because I keep on trying to push myself in, into doing different things, Moon was very much, as much as possible, practical effects. Um, and then Source Code was kind of a mix of the two. Warcraft had a lot of visual effects, but I was working with ILM, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, I, I had a chance to work with the best in that kind of mainly digital side. But there was, there was a lot of real props and real sets that we built. Mute was shot in Berlin. We were, we were actually in the city. So really it was about, okay, how can we just add little details here and there, whether it's with physical props or with things that we generate digitally to just take the city, you know, 30, 40 years into the future. Mm -hmm. So so I think, you know, the, one of the reasons why Mute probably feels the most organic and real and, and, and be believable yeah. is that most of it is. You know, oh, wow. it, it's the real city as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's going to be a couple of, you know, there's a couple of things we did that were kind of just trick shots just to add to the world. There's a bowling alley, for yeah, instance, yeah. where it's like this multi-tiered bowling alley. You know, that was a trick shot, but but most of it is is as in, in camera as possible. Yeah, I will say the technology in this is probably, I would say, one of my, I guess, favorite parts of it because it yeah. looks so like <laughs> I want that phone that they're like, like he was calling the old phone yeah. in it. Yeah. But um, I guess talk to me about the world building because this is this is from your imagination, both Moon and this. Yeah. You had co-writers, but you yeah. did both of them yourself. What about this proximity future world was so intriguing to you? Um, I mean, I think I think one of the things is is a lot of the time when you watch science fiction you get a feeling like it's one company designing everything mm -hmm. and and that's just not the future you know things the, the you know the real world clashes you know there's there's lots of different styles and there's and lots of those styles don't go together and i think i think that's that's one of the things that we were aiming for and i think you know for a production designer it's kind of a nightmare when the the director says i want you to make things look ugly <laughs> but i do you know i wanted to make the world feel like you know one company did that and another company did that and they don't go together and you see all of this stuff all over the place make it feel like a real breathing city um and so you know so that's that was kind of one of the approaches that we took which i think which i think really um made it made it feel believable excellent all right so what was there's always this whenever a director makes it what yeah. was the best day on set as far as what you got to shoot what you got to do <laughs> and then what was the day where you were like why did I write this <laughs> <laughs> um, it was best day and worst day 
oh, okay. was was um, when um, Dominic Monaghan came for his cameo visit. He he's uh, he was born in Germany, so it was kind of a weird connection. We had we had met in the past, and you know, gotten on, and he'd said, "You, know, you got to put, a, you got to make a role for me in one of your movies." So I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> you mean that's that? what okay. you did. <laughs> Again, I can't spoil this movie because I want everyone to experience it like I do. But God, that's what you did to him! Wow. <laughs> so, so that was great and and terrifying at the same time. He was like, "Is he going to go for it?" Because I I really I didn't have any options. You know, I needed someone who was just going to commit and do yeah, that yeah yeah and um fortunately he's yeah i knew him well enough that i thought he'd probably go for it and i warned him a little bit but um yeah you'll have to see to see what he what he got up to and then the other guy i'm glad you mentioned dominic because uh robert i don't always say his name wrong sheenan sheen sheen oh yeah his character how did you pitch that one to him or did he just come he in love it. he loved it really he was just totally for it as oh, soon as i, I talked to him it. about it he was like yep I'm done doing it. Yeah, because <laughs> that brings me to my last uh, yeah. big point: is the cast. It's littered with great cameos. Yeah, um, and there's some, you know, again calls, callback, callbacks to Moon. Um, the one that I, I guess. I don't even know how to say it. I love Florence Kasumba. Yeah, she's Her amazing. popping up in that, because we're literally sitting in the weekend of Black Panther where I'm waking up this morning at 7 a.m. I know. I would like to say that this is the best film since Black Panther. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, might, I might agree with you on that one, because you can't say better than Black Panther. <laughs> the Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Art19, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.